Tigers will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmer Bed. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Hello and welcome to episode 397 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm the bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Joining me as always is a glorious League Freak. You can also find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Going very well, Andrew Ferguson. How are you? Not too bad. We thought we'd mix things up a bit and do this strange um, podcast thing where we're both on at the same time. Yeah, just for a change, hey? <laughs> just, just to mix things up a little. There you go. You got to mix it up and give, as, give people something they're not expecting. As uh, as Tism once famously saying, it's novel, it's unique, it's shithouse. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Uh, what's been going on? Not much. The uh, Everything's pretty good in the world. Uh, the Panthers are winning. The West Tigers are winning. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the Tigers? Two straight sorry, sorry. wins? Yeah, well, look, it's... Uh... It's far. It's almost foreign territory. You can't say it's foreign territory because two in a row is something the Tigers will do once or twice every season. Mm-hmm. Three in a row is the tricky one. It's even made tricky because I think they've got the Dragons this week, and they've just come off this win over the uh, over the Roosters. Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting to see how it goes. But uh, at this stage, all I can say is, Madge, the second week in a row, proving me right. Yeah, expert. In what way has he proven you right? Well, I said all along that, uh, and not only Madge, I've got to say, Brooks himself with his comments after both games, mm-hmm. is that Brooks is not a communicator. He's not an organiser. He does not not know how to talk. He does not know how to run plays. And he himself has said that, um, you know, with Hastings on the field, he does all of that and he runs all of that and it's second nature to him. And you go, yeah. The attack looks like it actually runs now because someone's telling them what to do. Yeah. It's not always about scoring points either. It's about the basic things like going upfield, kick chase, standing in the right place in the defensive line, shit like that, basic stuff. But when you've got someone out there talking to you and telling you all of that stuff and where to go and what to do, things start looking a lot better and things start performing a lot better. I'm not saying the Tigers are great at the moment, there's still a lot of defensive issues they've got there. David Nofaluma being a large bulk part of that. Um, but it's better than what it was a month ago. You, so you can always move forward from there. Yeah, I always think that, like, people expect too much out of Brooks. I mean, I know he's one of the highest paid players in the competition, but to have a halfback that actually does the role of a halfback is... I just think that people demand too much from him at times. It's like when your CEO decided to have a holiday when the team was winless. And it's just like, people just ask too much, you know, just hang around for a little bit during the season. But I, you know, people ask no, no, no. the Tigers. Have one going on about the CEO going on a holiday. It was a great move. We haven't lost a game since he went. <laughs> Any chance he can stay away? Maybe we can put him on a permanent holiday. Oh, undefeated. Okay. Wouldn't that be good? It'd be great. And so, We've just watched. I don't know if you watched the game. The no, World. I did. Okay, I did. Warriors versus the Storm. Put it this way: my KO stopped working for the last. I think it was like ten minutes of the game, and by the time I switched it back on, I'd missed fourteen points being scored. 
Yeah. Um, to say that the Warriors' second half was abysmal is to underplay it. It's one of the biggest scores they would have had put on them and uh, just pathetic. And you just have to wonder, like, Nathan Brown has now coached two teams that have had score lines put up on them at two different clubs, by the way, that are actually in the, like, record books for some of the biggest losses of all time. And the sample size is pretty big with Nathan Brown now, and I see nothing that suggests he is any good at being a coach. Like, we talk about Trent Barrett and his record, which is abysmal as well, but Nathan Brown's got a longer record, and it's as diabolical. See, I've always seen Nathan Brown as the sort of bloke who you get in to start a rebuild, but not the guy you have in there to build the new team to a new direction. He's a bloke you come in with to bring the broom because he's not afraid to take the broom to people and, and move shit around. And he's usually pretty good at assembling rosters. I think the problem he has as a coach is what actually happens on the field. But when has he ever assembled a good roster? Well, it's the thing. A lot of it is about starting that build. So the hardest part is getting shit out of the way that's there that's, you know, you know, taking up all the space in the cap or it's taking up a lot of positions that a lot of younger players could be having. Mm. So that's, that is more than half the issue there. I, so, I totally get that, right? But he's so he's a bloke, he's a bloke you can bring in mm. to you know, get that process started. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the fact that he he's never really built a top quality roster, but he's never actually take you know created for himself the worst roster in the competition he's always had a competitive one but he doesn't know how to turn them into a unit that gels and works in a cohesive manner on the field never when has one of his teams competed well that's again that comes down to what he does on the field he's got no idea how to get a team to do what they're supposed to do on the field he just gets a collection of names together Mm. that look is the epitome of looks good on paper. That's what he can produce, is he can get you a squad that looks good on paper, that as far as coaching them to do anything, he's lost. I, I just I just have never once seen anything for me that says, oh, yeah, he has any sort of clue about what he's supposed to be doing. Like, No, I think, I think on, you know, with the roster management he does, I think if you put... Craig Bellamy or anybody else in charge of that Warriors roster, you have them performing a hell of a lot better than what they are. Probably, but like... So I, they're not a bad roster. I think they are, though. Nah, they're... I think they're a pretty pretty good roster. They're, they're probably... Um, they've definitely overindulged in halves. There's no doubt about that. And that's impacted their forward depth a bit. And their back, back line is... Um, yeah, their backs. You can get a million of those. But uh, he's... He's he's not exactly got great quality there. I mean, Kosi had an absolute shocker tonight. I haven't seen a performance like that since Manu Vatavai. Again, was it against Parramatta? He dropped yeah. everything that was kicked towards him one night. Was, yeah, and they, they, that one kick where um, Coates ran around him and he'd eased up. It's like it just well, so was, that was the second time Coates did that. There was one in the first half. Mm. where he just had to feel a grubble along the ground, and he fumbled that, and Coates was just standing beside him and just put his hand on the ball in the Warriors in goal and scored. 
Yeah. You can't be that that lax as a winger when when fielding the ball. And he was just off. And the Storm, like the surgeons they are, just went, oh, well, if he's not having a good night, fucking hammer him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I I just think that Nathan Brown, like I watched him in the press conference and um, he was like, oh, well, you know, we were competing for a while there. And it's like, yeah, and then you didn't. And there's 70 points on the board. And I just think that I don't have any faith in his roster construction. I have no faith in his player development. I have no faith in his coaching ability. And I think that the record proves it at two different clubs now. And, um, like, I was watching it, and I'm thinking, who do the Warriors get in as a coach? Now, I would get in Jeff Toovey. But, you know, there's some of these teams are not very good, but you can't see what they're trying to do. Like, I look at the Dragons. And I think their roster is pretty terrible, but I can see what they're trying to do. And I think it's going to take them a lot longer than most people think. I, I, I think that when people look at, say, the Panthers storm and the Roosters in some respects, they think that rebuilds happen quicker than they actually do. I think what we're seeing with the Broncos is more along the timeline that you can expect. And even then, it's pretty quick. I mean, what Walters is doing with that Broncos team is pretty remarkable when you look at where they've come from. But then I look at where Nathan Brown, where he took over this club, and it's just nowhere better. I don't see a team that I look at and say, well, down the track, they should be better. They just, I don't see it. When he went to the Knights, the Knights needed someone in there. They didn't, didn't matter who, but it had to be someone who was willing to go in there and throw a broom around and change things up because they'd just been just floating along, you know, aimlessly with yeah, whatever roster they could find. And they needed someone to change it up. That's what Brown does. But the Warriors didn't need that. They've never needed that sort of a, a massive shake-up thing. They've always had plenty of talent they can draw upon. They needed someone who knew how to draw upon it and make it, work and he was never the right coach there and that's that's showing at the moment um i I think he is only good when it comes to off-field stuff and that is and i'm not saying he's great at it but his, his roster management is the strength that he has he may not be great at it but it's he's not the worst at it either um I think he's close but, to the worst at it no nah, ricky really stewart's do. the worst ricky stewart's the worst with I, with roster management comfortably. I think think Ricky Stewart, I think his problem, and we've talked about it, he puts faith in the wrong people and he sticks by them. He's he's too loyal to some people. But I think that at least you can look at some Ricky Stewart teams and say, you know what, he brought this guy in and and, and that. But I, I also think that a lot of these issues come down to the overall football club department. Like there should be somebody at Canberra that looks at the football club side of things and says, no, like sometimes you've got to say no to your coach. And if you can't say no to your coach, then you've got the wrong coach anyway, you know? Um, and, and I think that that's a problem with the Warriors. I think that's a problem with a lot of these clubs where they, they're so poorly run and they can't say no to the coach when he wants. Oh. Well, like, I think that was a problem with the, the West Tigers when Nathan, uh, when Ivan Cleary went there and he started to, recruit all of the old fucking New Zealand Warriors players that he felt were reliable. Somebody at the West Tigers should have said, dude, no, it's over for these guys. 
it's I think the thing with Ricky though is his history at Parramatta, the Sharks. Mm-hmm. That shows very clearly that roster management wise, he's clueless. Mm-hmm. I'd rate Nathan Brown better at managing a roster and collecting a, a roster of players over Ricky Stewart. On the field, Stewart is by far a better coach than Nathan Brown. That's not even up for debate. But you know, that's for me. That's that's the two differences between the two. Um, Ricky Stewart's. Uh, I don't Can know we, if he's if, right. Can we talk about hey, him? Can we talk hey? about the Raiders? Yeah, the Raiders. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just I was just gonna say before you get on, I know what you want to have a chat about, and I'll let you get there. Okay. But uh, I will say with Ricky Stewart, I think what he needs is someone else above him. Yep. Who I think the club respect. You know, I'm not saying this from for personal reasons, but someone like Tim Sheens, who's been at the club and successful for quite a while, who can have that authority voice over the top of him, um, and sort of pull him into line a little bit. Mm-hmm. Also, Sheens is usually pretty handy when it comes to identifying um, good local talent, and that's something that Stewart is just blind on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think someone like that would be the sort of thing that Stewart needs to get him going good again. Um, if we all look back to when Rick Stewart was at his best, it was when Phil Gould was pretty much pulling the strings for him behind the scenes. That's mm-hmm. kind of what Stewart needs, and I think Sheens or someone like that would be um, the person he needs hanging around him there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He needs somebody that will say no, Ricky, and he says, okay, all right. Yeah. I'll trust your judgment. Um, look, the, we, I think we all saw what happened on Sunday when the um, Penrith Panthers, I mean, they just destroyed the Canberra Raiders, and the score probably flattered the Raiders. It was 36 to 6 at full time but they didn't allow the Raiders to have a play the ball in the second half in the Panthers' side of the field until the last three minutes of the match. And then I think they had three of them. Um, And then they turned the ball over. And then after the game, uh, all you heard was whinging and pissing and moaning out of the Canberra side and the club. And they once again said the Panthers were arrogant and things like that. And I just think for a team that is so fucking relevant that the NRL doesn't even put them in their adverts anymore, it's pretty fucking rich of this Canberra Raiders side who hasn't done anything outside of get a grand final runner-up medal since 1994 to start whinging at teams that actually achieve things and build things and grow and get better. You know, this is a club that has a loser mentality. They value losers. They elevate losers. They cherish losers, and then they turn around and act like a bunch of fucking babies when they lose a game to the premiers. Like, go fuck yourself, you fucking whingers. I can't, we can't help it if you fucking pricks stole some crowd thing from bloody European football games, thought it was your own, and then you lost it to Penrith Panthers fans because you're a bunch of fucking weak cunts. They just roll over and die any time the blowtorch is applied. Couldn't get out of their own fucking 10-meter line for 40 minutes, and then they whinged about refereeing. Get fucked. They, they, do you know, the Panthers run for more than one kilometer more than them in that game. One fucking kilometer more in a game of rugby league. You're standing across from one another. That's piss weak. 
and then they blame blame fucking refereeing. Get stuffed. That's why you cunts don't get in the NRL advert. Nobody cares. Your club's fucking irrelevant. Go back down that fucking highway and sit there in your cold, shitty 1978 fucking built stadium. You'll be able to visit a nice stadium when Penrith gets theirs built. And you can see what a real good club that has a good winning culture does. And you can piss and moan about it, you miserable pricks. There you go. Got off your chest? Yep. So it's a good thing you a good thing Penrith won. Yeah. <laughs> Do you mind though if I go over some of the stats from that game? Because I find them absolutely fascinating. Please do. Runs. Penrith had 84 more runs. 84 run meters. As you mentioned, Penrith made 1,006 meters more. Canberra only ran for 779 meters. If you run for less than 1,000 meters, you will lose a game. And, dude, this is a game where you literally line up across from one another and run into one another. And they still got beaten by a kilometer and blamed the referee in. If Canberra had have made twice as many post-contact metres, they still would have had less post-contact metres than the Panthers. <laughs> 265 to 536. That's insane. Line breaks, Penrith, 6 to 1. Tackle breaks, Penrith, 34-15. Average set distance, Penrith, 39 metres, Canberra, 26. Kick return metres, Penrith, 281, Canberra, 45. Wow, 45 kick return metres. Not even their fullback was running the ball. That's Crazy. essentially a fullback catching passing. Yeah. Offloads, Penrith, 10 to 7. Um, dummy passes, 1 to nil. Didn't need to. <laughs> um, four forced dropouts. Six bombs to two. That's to Penrith. Penrith, seven grubbers to nil. Canberra. This is where the stats go the other way. Canberra, 402 tackles to 269. 34 missed tackles to 15. 11 penalties conceded to four. Just, I didn't think I'd see, you know, those are the sort of lopsided stats that we saw at the height of PVL ball. Mm-hmm. I didn't think we were going to see too much more of that this year. They They tweaked the rules by just enough to ensure that Stuff like that wasn't going to happen too often anymore. Yeah. But then I guess tonight came along. So let's let's check out to see how the Warriors went in comparison because, I mean, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Run meters, 763 for the Warriors tonight. Mm-hmm. So I think that was about 16 meters less than Canberra. Yeah. Pretty you. Melbourne ran for about 300 metres more than Penrith. They made 2,061 metres. And that makes sense because they had some long-range tries. Yeah. Post-contact metres, the Warriors, 313. Canberra had 265. Line breaks, Warriors had two. Tackle breaks, they had 16. Mind you, Melbourne had 41. <laughs> <laughs> 41 tackle <laughs> Jesus. Um, kick return metres, 67 for the Warriors. Oh, nice. Almost 300 for the Storm. <laughs> um, dummy passes. Melbourne, 15. Warriors, 1. <laughs> it's it's not great. No. Uh, tackles made. Warriors made 50 tackles less. It's obvious because they missed 41 tackles. Yeah. 
Um, but what we're seeing here, though, is some of the key stats for the Warriors are very similar to that of the Raiders. Yeah. And the Warriors got lapped by 60. Yeah. Just to, just to let people know who, who may not know, tonight was just the 10th time that a score of 70 or more has been posted since 1908. Yeah, it's historic. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there were there were a couple of instances where if the ball had stuck or, you know, things had gone, a bounce of the ball and stuff, the, they were going to score 80 points on the Warriors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Comfortable. I mean, well, they missed six goals, so yeah, there's 12 points straight away. There you go. It's uh, that was brutal that game. It really almost was. sixty points in the second half. It's insane. And and you know what? I don't think that the storm were absolutely on fire. Like there's some games which oh. the storm where it's like holy shit, they're like the Harlem Globetrotters. I don't think it was that. I just think they executed. They did. Look, the first half they were. Let's be honest, they were only in front because of two cosy stuff ups. Mm. And they got two tries out of that. That was, and they didn't convert them. I don't think so. That would have made it if they hadn't that hadn't happened. It would have been Warriors up ten eight at half time. Mm-hmm. Here we are, seventy ten. They lost. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. And you know, all of these teams that are at at the moment saying, "Well, the better teams get all of the calls from the referees." It's like, can you please shut the fuck up? Like, if you miss that many tackles and make that many mistakes and play football. That is that fucking stupid. You have zero right to turn around and point at the referee. Like, once you start getting beaten by 20-plus points, you should never fucking speak about what the referee's done. I don't care if he's sent two of your dudes off the field. It's ridiculous how much whinging about the referee there is at the moment. Because remember last year that there were stats coming out and it was like the most penalised teams were, I think it was Penrith and the Roosters, and they were saying, oh, oh the best teams, they, they give away the most penalties because it's a tactic. And now it's like, well, the best teams aren't getting penalised. Make your fucking mind up, you losers. Yeah, when when the Roosters won their three straight, uh, was it three straight? Two straight titles. And they had three straight grand finals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they were, every year I'm pretty sure, they were the most heavily penalised side. Um, so yeah, it's, and that's the thing. It, it was a mix too. You have a look on there, and some of the teams that didn't get penalised much, um, like if you get a look on the whole draw, there was no consistency to it. So you'd have, you know, the Raiders, and then there was, you know, some bottom four team was the second most penalised. Well, I think it might have been the Bulldogs. Yeah. And then the Knights, and then you'd have another top eight team, and then it just it was all mixed all over the shop. So you couldn't draw any conclusion from it, and that has not really changed. Yeah. Um, another thing that I find that lazy, if we're going to quickly stay on stats for a sec, um, I find commentary is getting lazy. They keep going on about completion rates. Yeah, I and, I, I found that too. I think the commentary is really really bad this year. Like it's weird when it is. When you it's almost like they're just hanging their hat on completion rates the whole time. And there's a yeah. thing with completion rates. If your completion rate's really low, then obviously your handling's not good enough. Mm-hmm. But if it's way, way too high, then it means that you're not being adventurous enough with the ball. You're not going to score points either because the Tigers have had good completion rates for most of the year, mm-hmm. but they've only, won, they've only won their last two games. You've got to mix it up a bit. You've got to be willing to risk 
a slightly lower completion rate because there's a chance that one of those, you know, little freak plays, that's tricky pass that might just stick, that might score a point, that might get you in front, that might win you the game. If you take if you take the safe option every single time, you won't score every single time. Yeah, yeah. It's also a, a good regular season thing too. Like, you know, you're playing the numbers, but can you go that one step extra and, and you know, be able to play some football and get something done when it really matters? And I think that um, that might be something that the Parramatta Eels have had an issue with in recent years where they can play with really good completion rates and in the regular season it works really well for them. And, you know, numbers-wise, the the numbers seem to stack up. But you get to the finals where teams are playing better defence and they're generally better teams anyway because it's the top of the ladder teams. And then all of a sudden you see some of these teams get shut down because they they just can't go to that extra level. And I think there was that question mark over the Panthers, to be fair, coming into last year's final series. Like, yeah, they, they can get it done in the regular season, but can they do those extra things when it counts? Turned out that they could, luckily enough. But, you know, some teams don't have that extra level. It's like North Sydney. North Sydney, really good side, regular season. And then get to the finals, and it was like, yeah, we got North Sydney. It's like a fucking buy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, just on penalties conceded. Now that they're talking about how you know the the good teams don't get penalised as much. Mm-hmm. Um, the least penalised team, according to the NRL stats at the moment, the Dragons, mm-hmm. and the Titans, and the Eels, then Penrith. Okay. Um, the most penalised team. Melbourne. There you go. I, I just look. If I was the NRL, I'd have a penalty ladder right next to the NRL ladder, and I'd, I'd just so that fans can see that the narrative that they get fed by the media is bullshit, and it comes from coaches who whinge after. Like how many coaches come out and say, "You know what? We lost. We sucked," and it had nothing to do with the referee. It's very rare. Like really, really rare. They'll always go on about some decision the referee made and blah, blah, blah. They'll never talk about how their halfback can't fucking speak or their kicking game was dreadful or they've got Wiggins at a fullback that can't catch a ball. It's always the dude with the whistle that they concentrate on. And I'm just over it because it creates really quickly a culture of whinging. And you can see it on Twitter, like, all of a sudden, ever since Todd Payton said that the better teams get the calls, it, Twitter has turned into foot stamping, whinging bullshit where everybody just loses because of the referee. No one loses because they were fucking garbage on the night. This is the thing, though. This is the problem you get with, with teams who are not used to losing all the time. Mm. So, see, Tigers fans don't tend to blame the referee that much. We just expect we're going to lose all the time, so we just start <laughs> blaming certain people. <laughs> So, so we're we're a bit. It's all quiet on Twitter when the Tigers win a game. So, hang on, we're supposed to be whinging about something we won. Now you'll notice. You look at my Twitter time, and I said fucking nothing after the game, other than I saw one opportunity where Nofaluma ran in a mile. Oh yeah, that like was three crazy. hours too early, and they scored a try. Read, you're like, where the fuck was he going? <laughs> it's like he's up yeah. upstairs to buy a pie before the game was over. He was he was so far infield and so out of position as the ball was going just through the back line that I was like, wow, he's like 
just behind where Jared Crocker would be if he would make that defensive read. Exactly. Now, I want to uh, raise something else, okay? Mm-hmm. On the weekend, we had David Fafita playing at centre. Yeah. And a lot of other people have been talking quite obviously about um, Talakai from the Sharks, who's mm-hmm. a back row playing at centre at the moment and absolutely fucking killing it. There's another second rower who's played at centre this year who has also been reasonable. I'm not going to say great. Okay, I'm going to say reasonable. But he's been he was so much better in every performance he's had there than uh, David Vafita. Mm-hmm. And that's Luke Garner for the Tigers. Mm-hmm. He's held he's his own. Hey, he's, uh, yeah. he's been one of their better performers in the team. They've locked him up, right? I believe, well, probably not. He's probably already gone. Um, <laughs> Penrith. But, but he's he's a tall, sort of Luke Lewis in his latter years type player. Tall, lanky. Doesn't look like he's got a great deal of mobility. But players yeah. don't get round him. Because he knows how to keep shape in defence. And he knows how to drag his inside man with him. The problem he's got is not the loomer outside him. You can't do anything about that. He's like a fucking yo-yo. He's on some other planet, that clown. Um... But Luke Garner has proven to be a better back rower turned centre than David Fafita. And I'm wondering how long will the media stop having Fafita as their golden child and start saying, you know what, this bloke is very fast becoming Dave Taylor 2.0. Yeah, he's like if uh, Dave Taylor and Dane Carlo had a baby. Mm. Um, it's, It's shocking. And you and me have talked about it for a while now. You know, like uh, the joke, you know, he's he's ready to give back to the club and it's like, will he give back the money? And I can see where Justin Holbrook's like, look, this guy is a forward who's just lazy. He's not putting in. He plays as wide as you can for a forward that's not called Gareth. So <laughs> let's just chuck him in the centres and see if it works. Now in attack, it works pretty good. In defence, unfortunately, it doesn't. He doesn't have the lateral movement. He's atrocious. He really was. That like I mean, you could see they were all salivating to get around him. He actually made um Matt Daylight look like a first grader. But what's the thing? <laughs> Drinkwater absolutely stood him up and made him look like an absolute fool. Mm-hmm. And his de- his defensive reaction time is just abhorrent. Terrible. Um, it is. So I think what they've got to do, if I'm Holbrook, I'm saying, you know what? Fafita, if you want to play on the edge you need to prove that you can defend out there. And the only way you can do that is by doing a lots of tackling practice. So now you're going to be playing in the front row. Yeah, and look, I I don't blame Holbrook for the move. But I know, because it's, it's an easy one to make. But at yeah. the same time, man, you've got, you can't shy away from doing the dirty work as a forward. You've got to get in there and do some of that dirty stuff. Get your hands dirty. I agree. I agree 100%. And, and the thing is, too, that somebody his size, like... You've either got that footwork or you don't, and he just doesn't have it. Like he's a, you know, he's like a train. He's good on the train tracks, but don't expect him to take fast turns because he can't. And yeah. it's just, you know, I, I get it. I get it. That it's a roll of the dice. It's a million bucks worth of the salary cap that's out there not putting in. Put him out there in, in the centres and see if he can cope. And he he just didn't. He didn't cope at all. It was uh a failed experiment, but one I think that the Titans had to make, because the Titans are done. 
Like I had, I had way too much faith in them for too many weeks. Them and Newcastle are fucking done. There's no redemption for me this year for them. It's the t- the Titans is a, is a, an annoying one because you can see they've got a decent enough roster. Mm. They didn't need to get rid of their halfback, but they looked cohesive enough without him. And I thought this could possibly work. They've had a few injuries, which hasn't helped, but um, they should be being on. They should be a lot better than what they are. The Cowboys. Um, on paper, we're not looking like they were going to be much this year, and they made the Titans look woeful. They really did. And the thing is that the the Cowboys, a lot of what they're doing is about just competing. And it sounds so silly to say, you know, but just competing in everything. And if you do that, you're pretty far down the track to beating a lot of these bottom-of-the-table sides. You might not be one of the best sides in the competition doing that, but damn it, you'll beat the Titans, you'll beat the Knights, most days you'll beat the West Tigers. It, it's you'll beat, beat the Raiders every fucking day because they're weak as piss. But outside of that, you know you're you're probably just going to miss the eight. And I mean the cow. I'm really impressed with the Cowboys. We were saying that I think we both at the very last minute changed them to our wooden spoon picks. Yep. And you know, look at them. They're they're going great. They certainly are. Um, one other thing too. At the start of this round, the Tigers mm-hmm. were second last, mm-hmm. and thanks to losses by the Raiders by plenty, the Knights, um, they've they've moved up into thirteenth. They're on mm-hmm. the same points now as the Titans. The points difference is twenty between the two sides. The Titans have got Penrith this week. Mm-hmm. The Tigers have got the Dragons. Mm-hmm. And the Knights, who the next team below, the Tigers have got the Storm. <laughs> the Raiders have got the Warriors, so fuck knows what's going to happen there. Yeah, God, can they both finish on minus 70? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Broncos have got the Sharks. They're, that's the, And the Bulldogs have got the Roosters. So that's the teams that are in the bottom half of the draw. And we'll be going through this in the preview. But if the Tigers eke out another victory over the Dragons... Mm-hmm. Even if it's by one point, man, they are getting very much on the cusp of the top eight. And that's that's crazy to think of three yeah. weeks ago. By the way, when when I saw how the things were all falling and, and then the Panthers game needed to happen for them to move up another place, and I was thinking, is this the only time that Ivan Cleary coaching has made the West Tigers move up the ladder? <laughs> <laughs> It's good. I, I was making tweets about during during the week saying, you know, you know the West Tigers own Ivan Cleary has helped the Tigers move up another spot on the ladder. <laughs> I was hoping for a few bites, but no one no one was interested. I was a bit disappointed. Shit. Twins so been... we would have we we would have went one more spot if the Roosters had to beat the Dragons. Ah, bastards. The Ro- I'm, mm. I've got some concerns about the Roosters. Hey, like I'm. I'm going to do a podcast coming up a little, probably in the next couple of weeks with the Roosters Sporter, talk about it more in depth, but I just think that the Roosters have a few personnel issues that they've got to sort out and I think that they've got a few players that are now long in the tooth before they expected them to be and then I also am a little bit worried that some of their next generation has fallen off 
the the wagon a little bit. And I don't mean that, that they've turned into alcoholics or anything, but I just think that they're not yeah. tracking where they want them to. Yeah, next generation. Yes. The rooster's next generation. No, you mean everybody else's next generation who they take. Well, I, I was trying to be fair to the roosters, but yes, that's exactly what I mean. But they don't have any fans who listen. <laughs> I don't even need to put those last two words on there. How dare you? They had, they had what, 35,000 people there at the Sydney Cricket Ground supporting the Dragons? They've probably been sitting there waiting for a game since the last one there in the 1970s. <laughs> it's going to be interesting when that new stadium is finally finished and, you know, the, a, you would hope that they get decent crowds there, but I also wouldn't hold my breath. Uh, don't worry about it. The Tigers will make it one of their home grounds. Yeah, it'll be one of the five. That's five, six. One for every leader. You know what was really weird this weekend of games? Obviously, it was Anzac round. And I know that everyone's got their own thoughts on the way the Anzac day is promoted and stuff outside of what it's actually meant to be for. But... um. Every single thing that happened that had anything to do with rugby league, it was Anzac spirit. So even in tonight's match, Dallin Watini Zelezniak has been knocked out in a really unfortunate hit. He's face down on the ground. He hasn't moved. And they were, the commentators were talking about his Anzac spirit. And it was like, what the fuck are they always saying Anzac spirit for at a football game? It's a football game. I, I was actually speaking to my, to my wife about this on the way home today, and I said, I, I don't like how they try and compare the slaughter on the beach of men mm-hmm. to a few blokes getting knocked about playing footy. Mm-hmm. They're not the same. They're not even, it's not even the, it's not the same realm. It's not even close. It's not even the same universe. It's like and the problem, the problem it. with it more than anything else, other than the fact that it's a really stupid, um, comparison is it horribly, atrociously diminishes what the blokes did on the battlefield mm-hmm. in Gallipoli <laughs> to yeah. say that it's, oh, it's, it's like a few blokes falling over playing footy in the SCG in front of 15,000 fans. It just fucking isn't. No, no, no. I hate, I hate that because what you do, you're diminishing the wrong thing. You're, you're not, you're not promoting the players up to the the level of a soldier. You're diminishing what the soldiers down to playing footy on the weekend. It's that's horrible. It's horrible and wrong. I hate it. I really hate it. Yeah, so do I. So do I. I and look, I, I get that some people think that it's a nice way to promote Anzac Day and stuff. I don't think that Anzac Day has ever had a problem with needing to be promoted. It's Anzac Day, but and so I don't like all of these jerseys that they try and sell and things like that, and the the games on Anzac Day and all that sort of stuff. But um, I just think that it, it's very easy. I find it personally easy to be crass about comparing what you see in a footy field to people walking into a cove and being ripped to shreds by machine gun fire and dying and being buried in the same spot they fell. I just think that it's not right. And, you know, not just being machine gunned to the place, you know, and falling in the place they fell. I mean, for some of them, they were so unrecognizable. They were never found. Yeah. Yeah. 
Just, and people need to let that sink in. There was you know, Ted Hooper, who uh, sorry, not Ted Hooper, um, Ted Larkin, who was the game's first secretary. I mean, he was one of the first people to start climbing up one of those ridges there. And he was hit by such heavy machine gun fire that when some of the Australian soldiers found the remains of his body, they thought he'd been tortured. Yeah. You've got to let this shit sink in. Do not compare that with cop with getting knocked out playing footy. All your limbs are still there. You're still all functioning. You'll still get up and you'll be, you know, looked after by medics and you're still fine. You know, 99.99% of the time, you're going to be fine. You're not going to be completely, you know, slaughtered Mm -hmm. and turn into a piece of, you know, meat that's just buried on the ground and unrecognizable. And the only remains of you is a name on a plaque on a hill somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's crazy, I, I, and I don't like it, and I understand people have different opinions on it, but personally, I, I don't like it whatsoever. And, and I think that it's a little bit sad that, you know, Anzac Day in Australia, because the two football co- codes have gone so heavily into it, especially, uh, I feel like the last 15 years especially, but because they've gone so heavily into it that it, part, part of Anzac Day is now turned into the sport that's on the previous yeah, and you know what? I've got one more else thing to say about that. Yeah. I don't mind if they want to celebrate, you know, and commemorate what the soldiers do for the entire weekend. Mm-hmm. Fine with that. Mm-hmm. But having the last post and the whole Anzac Day ceremony thing before every single game mm-hmm. on every single day, that to me is boring on disrespectful. We have an Anzac Day specifically for this, we should be using that day. You know, we can't talk about having an Anzac Day clash between the Roosters and the Dragons and having the Melbourne Warriors game being about commemorating the combined effort of Australian New Zealand troops. Both very good concepts. I like the fact that both on Anzac Day. But we can't talk about those being the traditional Anzac Day features. If we're having the full suite of Anzac Day, you know, proceedings for every other game of the week and the then we previous find that, thursday it started you know yeah and it's it's it diminishes what the whole day's about mm. because you hear it eight times and six times before the actual day arrives mm-hmm. we don't need to be smashed in the face with it we know what it's about we know how important and sacred it is we have a very sacred moment and day for this don't it's not Easter. Yes. You know, we've got a day. We like to all get together and do it on that day. This is, it's, it's kind of like commercialization, but it's something a bit more weird and probably a bit more um, stupid. But I, I don't like it. I wish they'd just stick with Anzac Day being the day that they have the Anzac Day games and the Anzac Day ceremonies. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And, and I think that, I'd like to see that happen across Australian sport. Yeah, it's it's got to be everywhere. It's it's not a thing that rugby league does. AFL's done it. Other sports have done it. Um, I think what makes it truly unique. I mean, everyone knows it's a. You know, I think it's Collingwood versus Essendon in the AFL. Um, you know, it's just got to be this. It's a set routine that everyone can get stuck into, and you know, aside from the very important remembering what what our soldiers have done for us in the past and respecting that. 
we can't go around and make it all about the sport for the entire week either. It's not about the sport. Mm-hmm. Sports are luxury we had then and now, um, courtesy of what these men have done. It should be seen that way, not let's have sport to commemorate something else. Yeah. Don't like it. There we go. We've had a whinge. We've been fired up for this one. We've been holding yeah. back. For we have a little. We have a little. It's been good. <laughs> I know I had other stuff to whinge about as well. I'm trying to remember what they all were. Um, Have you got I, – I know you can bring this up on Rugby League Project Um, on short notice. <laughs> Trent Barrett's, coach, Trent Barrett's coaching record at the Canterbury Bulldogs. It's uh, I saw a stat during the week about it, and it was so remarkably bad that I think if you tried to have a coaching record that bad, it would be really hard to do. Like, if you're trying to do it on purpose, I reckon it'd be really hard to lose that many games and just win so few matches. Yeah, he's got four wins from 31 games at uh, 12.9%. Fuck. That's fucking crazy. Let's just have a look how he compares. Just go to the bottom of the list. Okay. Tedder Courtney, he coached the Bulldogs in their first ever season. He had two wins from 16 games at 12.5%. Second last, Trent Barrett at 129 What was – okay, here's, a, here's another one. What about – what was Tommy Radonikas' coaching record for the West Magpies? Well, he had a few stints from yeah, memory. Just all up, all up. Because I would bet it is way better than 12%. 33.3. There you go. Um, I'll see if I can find how he went by seasons. Okay, here we go. So, oh, no, it's bas- that's basically his whole time at West. So he only had one game as captain coach in 76 where he had a loss. Mm-hmm. Then he was coached from 95 to 99. But even in those last two years, uh, seven wins from 48 games. It, it's it's. I amazing. mean, that's the territory you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking at, like, you're looking past the people that jump out at you and you think, man, they, were, they had some really rough times coaching that team. Like, you're looking past that to find Trent Barrett. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean... Seven wins from 48 games, that's 14.5%. That's that's above Barrett. Yeah. Jeez. It's, uh, when does that happen? When does that happen? I don't know. I, I don't know why, um, why he's seen as being some sort of great coaching mind. I don't it's... know why the media thought he was some sort of, um, attacking, coaching masterstroke genius, whatever it is at Penrith, because he wasn't one at Manly when he was there. No. Penrith are still attacking rather well without him, mm-hmm. and they're not attacking well at all at Canterbury. So what out of all of that suggests that he's an attacking coach? I don't understand. Yeah, and look, the other one is Adam O'Brien up there in Newcastle. I put out a tweet this week that said if the Knights played five really good games under him, because I don't think they have. Like, you know, they're always disappointing. And I just think that it's hard to start a season well like they did. And when you say well, it's like, oh, they're competing. You know, it's nothing special. And then they're just getting worse every week. And he was also appointed the next great coach in the NRL. 
and you kind of wondered why, and you still kind of left scratching your head wondering why. Because it's not like he hasn't had some good players in his team. It's not like he hasn't been able to recruit. You know, it's not like he hasn't had players that they've said, you want to spend a million bucks on him? All right, we'll spend a million bucks on him. He's had everything he kind of has needed and wanted. And the Knights are crap. Yeah, look, I'm I'm with you on the whole Adam O'Brien thing. I never got why he was so quickly praised. It, it felt a bit Stephen Kearney-ish. Mm-hmm. You know, quickly they gave him fucking praise and he did absolutely nothing on the back of it. And now where is he? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Crazy. He's, he's been there for 50 games now, just over 50 games now, Adam O'Brien. And he spent mm-hmm. most of that time apologising for things not being right. Mm. Um, why would you keep some bloke in, in there for that long who keeps admitting he's the problem? Yeah, the thing that always got me was the start of last year when he was seen going off his head and it was round one and it's like you've got nowhere to go from here if you're doing that. And I get it if you've got a frustrating team coach, but, man, like there's just been no improvement from them. And when their, their best games are like, oh, look, they've actually turned up today. And that's not good enough for, you know, they're spending the same 10 million bucks as everyone else on their team. It's just not good enough. No, nah, I think to O'Brien, I haven't seen anything yet, like structure-wise or play-wise, that goes, you know, you look at it and go, oh, yeah, the Knights are going to be a worry. Mm-hmm. You just look at them and go, eh. Yeah, the game plan is very, very basic. It reminds me a little bit of Matthew Elliott's game plan, actually, which is horrifying. <laughs> I was going to say, Elliott's is just kind of guesswork. <laughs> I mean, his, his was no real different to Tommy Radonikus back in the 97, 98, 99 sort of period. Tommy Radonikus once famously said something along the lines of, um, when asked about game plans, he says, we don't have a game plan because if we don't have one, how are the opposition going to know what we're going to do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he regretted that almost immediately. <laughs> he did, yes. I, you go, I can see the genius of what you're trying to say, mm. but when you look at the actual performance on the field, there's zero genius involved in it. Yeah. But it's almost like Elliot went, that bloke's onto something. Yeah. And Adam O'Brien went, yeah, that Elliot guy was onto something as well. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so no. frustrating when you've got a coach in that you just don't see any improvement out of the club with, you know, and I think everyone's been there with their team and, you know, you just, you at least want to be able to turn on a footy game and say, oh, I see these things here that he's trying to do, or I see structures he's putting in place, or our defence is better, or even just your fitness is better. And when you don't see any of that sort of stuff, it's really frustrating because at the very least you can get your team super fit and get them competing, getting them trying to do everything they can to win. And look, when you do that, you look at the West Tigers the last two weeks when they've done it. Like, it's weird how, on some level, that's all it takes for all of the problems you can have in a football team. If you just get stuck into it, you're going to go close to winning most games. No, I fully agree on that. Um, That's the way it is nowadays. You've got to have the effort if you don't. You just you're not going to be competitive. Mm. I think the, the Tigers were competitive in two of their five losses, mm-hmm. and that was that was good to see. But the two losses they had were atrocious. 
and you can't turn up like that. You've got to be competing for the full 80 minutes. You don't have to be great, but if you're competing the full 80 minutes, sometimes, you know, the bounce of the ball in the opposition's bad luck could be enough to get you a win. But if you're not putting in the whole time, then it doesn't matter if the luck swings your way every now and then, you're not going to be good enough to capitalise on and turn it into victory. And that's the difference I think we've seen in the West Tigers' last two games is they're actually doing the effort plays and they're not they're not dying wondering anymore. They actually, you know, they don't put their heads down as soon as they concede points. It's like, right, how do we get ourselves back into the game? And they keep looking, they keep trying. Sometimes it's messy, but if you keep putting in, messy will work for you. And yeah, I, you just don't I, see that from the Knights. No, you don't. And, and there's, it's just, it's hard to put your finger, because it's not like you watch them and you say, oh, they're super. Like sometimes you watch the New Zealand Warriors and you say, wow, that's very, very lazy what I'm seeing. The Knights, it's just a thing of like, they just seem to cruise. And they cruise at a level which isn't good enough to win games. That's exactly right. I, I will just mention too that uh, we have been joined by a third man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has, uh, he's just listened to a bit of System of a Down, and now he's nodded off. Yeah, and he sounds so cute when he's making little baby noises. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's asleep here in my arms. He's yeah, a bit late tonight, so that's expected. Of course, when I um when I was hearing those baby noises, I was unmoved. I was like a rock. Yeah, just I was just like babies, whatever. What is that thing? <laughs> Interrupting my podcast. I actually I got angry. I, got, I yelled at him. Yeah. I was like, "Can you keep it down back there?" And you're like, "He's only a baby." I was like, "Oh, he's only a baby, whatever." Like an excuse. <laughs> I think that was the quote you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then you. Giggled like a girl and went, oh, this is so cute. I did not do that. That's some bullshit right there. Making it sound like my friggin' ovaries start aching every time I hear his little cute voice. I have a, I got a message from the uh, intern saying that they think that you blew your last ovaries. <laughs> uh, you've got no more left. Oh, man. I just got more to say. He's just so adorable. <laughs> it's true it's true yeah what can i say well considering that we now have three people on the podcast and uh we get paid by the hour i think we should wrap it up immediately well i mean that's something we can do although he's asleep so yeah it's up to you that's a good point he we uh what do you charge when someone's asleep like i wonder if I wonder if there is, there's any job in the whole world where your payment drops when you fall asleep, but you don't get fired. Politician? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's about it, I can think. Um, That's about it. I wonder if, you know, airline pilots, how they sometimes, I don't know that they do it anymore, but on the long haul flights, they used to have a couple of crews and one would sleep. I wonder if their pay dropped while they were sleeping. I suppose that'd be the benefit, though, is that no one would really know. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good just point. Just flip to autopilot. So, well, you're still going, nah, I was just taking a piss. I wonder how long we are away from workplaces giving you a smartwatch, and they're like, oh, we give everyone a smartwatch just to watch your health, and then, like, three months later, they pull you in and they say, 
we've noticed that your heart rate drops between <laughs> one and four. Is there a way to explain that? Or should yeah. we pull up your video? Coincidentally, you're not on the floor anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you just disappear. You go to an, what you thought was an unmonitored area. It does have a bed in it. We do have a camera in there. Let's just fast forward past all of these pictures of you with your pants off. Oh, look, you're asleep for three hours. What's that all about, sir? I don't know if I've ever told the story about when uh, I got an Xbox One and it come with the the video, the camera. Have I ever told that? that on no. It come with the camera, right? And it was an infra, it was a camera, but it also had an infrared camera. And so there was that they promoted it that they the game would be able to read your blood pressure while you're playing. And I don't like that sort of stuff. But I every so often there would be a game where you could use like hand gestures or something. So I set it up and I put a card over where the cameras were when I didn't want it looking at me. Anyway, I remember one day I'm I'm sitting there and I'm playing a game just in my shorts, you know. And I had to go and fix one of the the um, settings on my Xbox. So I go into it and up comes me, a vision of me just sitting there in my shorts. And I'm like, wow, they've seen some stuff there at Microsoft. This is horrifying. And uh, it just reminded me of that. Because eventually, like, they're going to have office jobs where they're going to say, like, the video picked up that you weren't working as hard because your blood pressure was low. And then so I'm wondering if you were, if you were suggesting that you know Microsoft got to see up your pants legs and they're checking out your nuts, mate. They saw way more than that. They saw Ooh. everything. They saw breakfast as well. Everything. <laughs> Probably best we don't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's uh, that's interesting. We'll have to see what Bill Gates is up to. I, I believe he's um, still cashing in his stock. As you do. Yeah. As you do. Well, it's been good to do a podcast together. It uh, has indeed. And we should we'll probably we should, do one tomorrow. Yeah, we should do this more often, hey? Yeah. Will I be the guest or you be the guest? I think I'll be the guest. You'd be the guest, though. No. It's I've been listening for a week and a half. Well, it's weird because I – they're like – I can't remember what happened, but it was like something happened and then I got sick and so you had to do an episode and then you got sick, so I had to do episodes. And then it was like really quickly, you look back and it's like, holy shit, we haven't done a podcast for like three weeks together. It's really weird. Yeah, uh, 20 days. Jeez, that's that's the longest we probably haven't talked on Skype for in like two weeks. Yeah, my family got sick and then I got the flu over the weekend. Right. Um, and I've only just started getting better now, and you've put out a preview into other episodes in that time. Yeah, it's almost like you're far more productive when I'm not around. <laughs> I actually just got better. It was funny though, because like I did, we did that Adelaide episode, but the uh, fuck Mary dump episode, which is always a highlight of the year, and good got good feedback about both episodes too. There you go. Yeah, I've got to check out the uh, the Adelaide one. I reckon that's going to be pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, it was cool talking to Guy. Um, we'll get him on the podcast just to talk about rugby league just down the track. But yeah, it was uh, it was cool to to hear about rugby league in a developing state from somebody that's actually in that state. Because as I said on the podcast, you hear a lot about it from people that aren't actually like they're on the ground. 
So I think that we need to hear from more people that are in rugby league areas that aren't the areas we hear from all the time. No, I agree on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, uh, the other thing I was going to raise too is we are approaching 400 episodes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we ask we ask the listeners all the time, we ask you what we should do on these milestone episodes. And to date, you've all been pretty bloody useless and given us nothing. So <laughs> we, we will try again. See if you can do something different for us this time. Send us an email. Where can they email us at? Okay. Uh, they can email us at podcast at leaguefreak.com. Okay. But mm-hmm. my suggestion is, and I don't know what I would have to do, but what if you had to eat an onion? Well, it's a bit late now. I know, but like just for tradition. For tradition. Yeah. We could both have it. one. Well, no, just you. I was thinking if every 25 episodes you eat an onion. <laughs> oh, no, nah, I can't have that. I, look, I, I, that's like, that's onion, akin to letting you win. <laughs> I know, it's just about winning and losing. What if you eat an onion and I think of something else I can eat on the podcast? Ah, sure, I'll think of something. Or you can just go to um, your local train station. Don't forget to put on the webcam uh, <laughs> <laughs> one. See, the little one doesn't like that suggestion. <laughs> oh, man. oh, that is good. That is good. Um, yeah, we'll sort something out. All righty. He's giving me the wind-up. Okay. Let's, well, thank you, for everyone, for listening. Thank you indeed, and uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Virgo Freak Pod, and we're at every other social media thing there is. Oh, the Raiders fan. He's not happy. <laughs> He's not happy. There we go. We sorted him out. Um, so yeah, thanks for tuning, in, everyone. Uh, sorry for the abrupt ending, but uh, we'll catch you all next time. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858.